This program is made possible by the members and donors of the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Daily Show, Countdown, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, The David Pakman Show, The Progressive, The Majority Report, and The Matthew Filipovich Show. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode suggests that people other than Midwestern, white, Christian, conservative Republicans should also be thought of as real Americans. Is there something different about the way a church manages its employees that the government can't touch? The woman who was a teacher at a Lutheran school in Michigan, she developed a disease known as narcolepsy, which caused her to fall into periods of deep sleep. So she left for treatment. When she came back, the church said, sorry, we don't have any openings. Ah, I see. So most places can't fire someone because they got narcolepsy, you know, the American with Disabilities Act. But can a church? It's on! Religious Freedom v. Americans with Disabilities Act. There's really only three ways this thing can go. It either ends 5-4 or 4-5 or maybe 4.5-4.5. We've got some breaking news for you out of the Supreme Court. In a unanimous decision, the justices ruled that a teacher fired for a disability from a religious school cannot sue. 9-0 with the court's liberals joining the conservatives. None of the liberals even wrote separately to say a peep about this decision. They obviously agreed in it so much. Whoa! 9-0? I mean, these judges were 8-1 to one on whether work it sucked or not. <laughs> Ginsburg was all, it was like a modern-day bosom buddies. It is, it's like Tootsie times two. We need these shows. Anyway, for more on the religious exemption decision, we go to senior legal analyst Asif Manvi at the Supreme Court. Asif, thanks for joining us. Um, what is the reaction to this? What is the reaction to this decision? Uh, well, Asif? John, the big winners here are religious freedom advocates. They are thrilled. That's their religious decision. Respect the religion and respect the ecclesiastical right. determination. Religious liberty trumps all hands off. Wow. So a big hallelujah went up across the country. You hear that, John? Hallelujah! You seem pretty chipper yourself, Hossif. <laughs> well, chipper? No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not chipper. You're chipper. You're chipper. No. You're smiling. Well, you know, I just find it intriguing that the nine justices in their wisdom unanimously agreed that religious law can override civil law, whether it's a Lutheran synod or a rabbinical council or, sure. say, the imam of a mosque. Whoa, 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 whoa! I see where you're going with this. No, 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 my friend. Forget it. Forget, forget what? What, what I said? You know what you're saying. You're saying this decision paves the way for the, the Sharia law here in America with the halal parts. I am no. just... That's I'm just saying, for instance, there's this mosque in Florida where a judge tried to use Sharia law to solve a dispute between Muslims. Totally, it's a totally different situation. Why? <laughs> in Muslims. <laughs> Muslims are scary. <laughs> oh, so you're saying Lutherans can use a church synod to solve their disputes, but a mosque can't use their religious law. No. No, Asif, no, that's, yes. <laughs> Why? L Lutherans are very easygoing. <laughs> they celebrate Christmas, wear sweater vests from, what I understand, they love pork. I, I just think that the scariest, you know, Lutheran they even have is William H. Macy. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Now, 
Now, but by nailing his 95 Thesis to the cathedral door, Martin Luther plunged Europe into a century of bloody religious war. And all we had was that all he had was a hammer and some stationery. Just imagine what they'll do with the full force of the Supreme Court behind them. Today, it's firing teachers. Tomorrow, it is forcing your kids to listen to Prairie Home Companion in schools. <laughs> This week, the FBI arrested and charged a 26-year-old man who was planning to use plastic explosives to attack the Pentagon in the U.S. Capitol. According to court documents, Rezwan Ferdas early last year began plotting a, quote, violent jihad with the goal of terrorizing the United States, decapitating its military center, and killing as many non-believers as possible. Most news reports focused on the remote-controlled planes and explosives Ferdas wanted you to use to carry out his attack. And yes, those are radio-controlled planes that look like U.S. fighter jets. On some right-wing talk radio shows and internet blogs, the Ferdos News has prompted another round of Muslim bashing. Muslims hate America, they support terrorism, and on and on and on. The lies and Islamophobia have been on display in conservative media for years. We know from uh, re research done by SANE that, that four out of five mosques preach a hate and preach incitement to violence. We know this. As I said, it's part of the Quranic text. Violent extremism and Sharia law is being condoned in 75% of the American Muslim mosques. 75%? Religious scholars and experts call that conservative talking point total crap. And let's go back to the Ferdas arrest. Lost in most of the news reports was the fact that last year the mosque he belonged to in Roxbury, Massachusetts, kicked him out. Ferdas had expressed radical Islamic views, showed hostility towards women, and praised Al-Qaeda. Quote, we said, look, that's not going to work here, said Atif Hardin, a director of the Islamic Society of Boston Cultural Center. Quote, I cannot think of a mosque where he was welcome. He was clearly way out of step with the rest of the Muslim community. Another mosque attendee, Ricardo Mastra, said Ferdas was an extremist. Mastra added, quote, some Muslims are afraid to speak out against that. I'm not. In this case, not only did Muslims speak out against Ferdas, they called the police and told law enforcement to watch him. And this isn't the first time that's happened. According to federal law enforcement officials, about a third of all foiled Al-Qaeda plots in the United States have relied on support or information provided by members of the Muslim community. Furthermore, a study at Duke University found that many mosque leaders have put significant effort into countering terrorism by building youth programs, sponsoring anti-violence forums, and scrutinizing teachers and texts. And yet the crucial role Muslim Americans have played in fighting terrorism continues to be ignored or twisted. I have no doubt the distortion and hatred will continue. Islamophobia exists in our society. It is pervasive, and it serves the political agenda of some folks on the right. But let's be clear. American Muslims are every bit as patriotic and committed to U.S. security as anybody else. They have proven it repeatedly, not just this week, but for many years. And our society would be better served if all of us would stop and take notice. From the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. My room
followed my footsteps to the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts. And all around me, her voice was singing, this land was made for you and me. This land is your land, this land is my land. The University of Bridgeport in Connecticut is being sued by a former uh, student. She is a black Muslim. And she's suing because back in 2009, she went to university administrators and told them that she was being sexually harassed by one of her male peers. Well, the university decided to brush it under the rug and do absolutely nothing about it. In fact, after she reported him, he went to the administrators and said, oh, by the way, I heard she's a terrorist. Instead of maybe investigating the case themselves a little bit to figure out whether or not this student is actually a terrorist, they immediately contacted the FBI. So the FBI knocked on her door a few days later to investigate. So uh, a woman comes in, says she's been sexually harassed. No interest in covering it whatsoever. Oh, we got a Muslim, somebody complaining she's a terrorist. Well, obviously. Call the FBI. Now, I get it. If you actually think she's a terrorist and you did your own investigation and you think the guy is right and she's wrong, okay, well, then you've got to call some federal uh, officials, right? But just on words alone, if on words alone, he's totally innocent. On words alone, she's totally guilty. I mean, come on. She's Muslim and black. What we're going to do, not call the FBI? You're lucky they didn't call the CIA. You know, first of all, the whole terrorist part of the story is a completely separate issue. There are two huge issues here. The fact that female students, and this is happening in universities throughout the country, female students either get sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. They go to the administrators and they completely ignore it. Right? This has happened on several different occasions, and that is a problem that they need to solve. But yeah, also the whole terrorism thing, I would be so embarrassed if I were working at Bridgeport or the University of Bridgeport, and I did this to another student. She was actually dismissed from the university after this. Oh. How embarrassing are you? I, I, I just... She's, you know, she wants, she was going to med school, she wanted to, you know, study to be a chiropractor, and they totally, like, ruined her dreams because some guy who was sexually harassing her, or I should say allegedly sexually harassing her, went and told her, told them she's a terrorist. And she wears the hijab and everything, so that's all the proof that they needed. I mean, look, come on. First of all, if she was a terrorist, you think that they, they wouldn't have prosecuted her, put her in jail, and then done a whole press conference about, ah, we got him, right? We got another one. So the very fact that they didn't do that leads me to believe, of course she wasn't a terrorist, right? So it, now the guy complained about that. It turns out it's not true. That makes me more likely to believe that she was right in the first place. Mm -hmm. This guy had harassed her and then harassed her again by calling her a terrorist. And who wins at that? He walks away with a huge victory. Not only is he not investigated at all, she's taken out of that context completely. And her dreams might be dashed or whatever, but everybody's like, oh, thank God we got rid of the terrorist. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 
$5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. The next Republican presidential primary is in the great state of Louisiana. This was an event in central Louisiana on Sunday. A pastor named the Reverend Dennis Terry introducing Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum uh, to his congregation. Watch. I don't care what the liberals say. I don't care what the naysayers say. This nation was founded as a Christian nation. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There's only one God. I'm tired of people telling me that I can't say those words. I'm tired of people telling us as Christians that we can't voice our beliefs or we can't no longer pray in public. I'm Listen to me. If you don't like, love America and you don't like the way we do things, I got one thing to say. Get out! Muhammad. We don't worship Allah. We worship God. We worship God's Son, Jesus Christ. If we'll put God back in America, put God back in our pulpits, put God back in our homes and in our state house, and then in Washington, D.C., then we can have revival in America. At the end of Reverend Dennis Terry's introduction, uh, Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum uh, gave the pastor a standing ovation. Mr. Santorum later told reporters that he did not agree with the part of the sermon where the pastor told Muslims and Buddhists that they need to get out of America. Mr. Santorum said he was not clapping for that specific part of the sermon when he gave a standing ovation at the end. That Rick Santorum event was at the Greenwell Springs Baptist Church in the town of central Louisiana outside of Baton Rouge. If you hop on Route 61 and then on Route 425 from central up toward Shreveport, you will hit Monroe, Louisiana, which is where my friend, the Reverend Dr. Welton Gaddy, is the pastor for preaching and worship at the Northminster Baptist Church. Reverend Gaddy is also the president of the Interfaith Alliance, which is a national organization dedicated to protecting religious freedom. Welton, thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here, Rachel. Um, does that uh, non-Christian should get out of America rant uh, sound as radical to you as a Baptist minister as it sounds to me? Yes. It, uh, it angers me and it hurts me. Uh, when I read the words at first, I laughed. And then I thought, I can't laugh at this. Rachel, in that introduction, that man gave me the feeling that he is the war on religion. Because what he was talking about was being anti-American and anti-religious. He, he did not conform to the Bible, and he didn't conform to the Constitution. That we, we are not a nation that kicks people out because of disagreement. I, I mean, that's what the art of politics in this nation has always been about. And... and I get so sick of these people talking about a war on religion, it embarrasses me. Look, they don't know what they're talking about. What's called a war on religion today 
that was epitomized in his introduction. Nobody's told him he can't talk about God. Mm. Nobody's told him he can't talk about Jesus. And if, if his theology is one that the government can throw God out of the nation, that's a stronger theology than I've got. I don't know how you get rid of God anywhere, uh, according to my belief in God. It, it is ludicrous. What's happened is that people who lived so long with an assumed establishment of religion, Judeo-Christian tradition, mainly Christian more than Judeo, are now having to play by the same rules that everybody else does, and they're saying that's persecution. And one day they're going to have to apologize to people in Afghanistan and Iraq and places like that who really know what it's like to be persecuted for their faith. These people are not persecuted. What do you think that Republican politicians, conservative politicians, are selling at the political level when they talk about persecution, when they talk about a war on religion, when they make... When they tell Christians that Christians are victimized in America by virtue of being Christians. Well, they're trying to scare them, for one thing, because they know that if you get people scared, they're going to say, what can we do to change this? And then they're going to say, follow us. Just do what we say and, and we'll get it done for you. Newt Gingrich knows better. But you know what? I, I, and you may disagree with this. I appreciate the fact that Santorum has been honest. I think he's told us some of the scariest things that I've ever heard about religious freedom. It's made me probably more fearful uh, than any presidential candidate ever has. But he's been honest with us. He's told us what he will do with that office. And I appreciate that. So we can either endorse that or not endorse it. But know this, if you go with this Republican path of a war on religion, taking back this country for God, all of those kinds of things, you're going to see religious freedom minimized, if if not done away with altogether, and you're going to see a different America. The Louisiana campaign is this Saturday. Mr. Santorum is favored. He does not seem to have much of a traditional campaign like he'd recognize in other states. He seems to mostly be counting on working through churches. He's counting on ministers telling their congregations to vote for him. How do you feel about that? I I don't like it. It's It's a prostitution of the church. It's a manipulation of religion. People have to keep in mind, when you're running for the president of the United States, whether you're Rick Santorum or uh, President Obama, you have one goal, and that's to win the election. And you just know that anything that's done in that campaign is a subsidiary strategy for getting you to the White House. These people aren't trying to build churches they're not trying to, to encourage them towards social ministries. They're not trying to hold prayer meetings. They're trying to become the president of the United States. And the church has proven to be another institution into which they can go. And I resent anybody trying to make the altar of a church a stump from which they can give a political speech. If they want to go to church, they ought to go to church just like everybody else does. And... and Worship and then get out and do their politics. Don't tell a man that he can't come here because he got brown eyes and a wavy kind of hair. And don't tell a woman that she can't go there because she prays a little different to a God up there. You say you're a Christian because God made you. You say you're a Muslim because God made you. You say you're a Hindu and the next man a Jew. Then we all kill each other because God told us to. Now, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Bonjour, bonjour. Bonjour, bonjour. 
This is Nezer Hamzi, a director of a nonprofit and a devout Muslim with surprising political leanings. I consider myself a traditional Republican, very conservative individual. You're you're a Republican? Yep, registered Republican. Why? Ronald Reagan's been a childhood hero of mine. I identified myself uh, because of Reagan uh, with the Republican Party. And in Broward County, Florida, when a boy Republican becomes a man Republican, he goes to the Republican Executive Committee to apply for membership. Well, I, I applied to join. I met all the application requirements. But when I got there, um, there was a very well-orchestrated campaign against me. How so? There were handouts that uh, individuals had printed against me calling me a terrorist, saying, you know, Islam is evil. The campaign worked, and the executive committee voted against his membership 158 to 11. After all that, you still want to be a Republican. Yeah. That is so nonsensical that it actually makes me think that you're a Republican. Hamzi needed to overcome this vitriolic Islamophobia. Fortunately, there are local organizations dedicated to fighting intolerance, such as Americans Against Hate. I sat down with its founder, Joe Kaufman. Americans Against Hate fights against uh, bigotry. So when you and your group, Americans Against Hate, heard that Mr. Hamza was not allowed into the Republican Party, what did you do? Well, I, I personally praised the, the leadership of the Brow Republican Party. Wait, what? I spoke out against him. I, uh, I put together flyers and I, and I had them distributed at the, at the meeting. Oh, so it was Kaufman, the anti-bigotry crusader who called Hamzi a terrorist. What is the name of your group again? Americans Against Hate. Right. And what is your definition of against? Uh, what is the definition of against? Yeah. Um, going against something that you that you believe is wrong we just use the same word I know but I don't I don't exactly have the dictionary in front of me to figure that out but you don't need a dictionary to see why Hamzi doesn't belong in the Republican Party well he is the local head of care the Council on American Islamic relations an organization uh, that was started by a terrorist group overseas yes care the nefarious Muslim civil rights group led by director Nihad Awad a man no Republican would ever associate with. But Kaufman's outrage was met in kind. He calls me something called uh, an Islamophobe. An Islamophobe. Uh, I am no Islamophobe. Uh, indeed, I am a terrorphobe. You do not discriminate on personal characteristics. Absolutely not. Right. You're just judging him on assumed associations. No doubt. That is exactly what I'm doing. Was Nezer GOP or jihadi? How did he stack up against a real Republican on the key issues? Cap and trade. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm against cap and trade. I'm against cap and trade. Gay marriage? I'm against gay marriage. Sure you are? I'm for traditional marriage. Abortion? I'm, a, I'm against abortion. I'm pro-life. I'm, I'm a fiscal, fiscal conservative. conservative. No, no doubt. doubt. Free, Free market. market. I believe, I believe there, there should be sunshine, sunshine on the Fed. I believe I feel we need to see their books. He's pretty Republican-y. Are you sure of that? I'm positive. I mean, he is... In a lot of ways, like you, you know? Big business, small-minded. That may be true, but again, if it were up to me, he will never be a part of the Republican Party. He'd been dumped and needed to move on with a rebound. Some loose party to get himself into. I set up a speed date with Florida's most eligible political parties. We need to cut spending, and we need to raise taxes. Raise taxes. Raise taxes. Raise taxes. 
next. Hey, I'm Andrew from Modern Wig Party. <laughs> wig Party. <laughs> Good sense of humor, at least. Seriously, seriously though, what, what, what party are you with? The Modern Wig Party. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. We are the party of economic freedom. Um, if we were to allow states to introduce competing currencies into the market. I'm, I'm sorry, you said states? States. So produce, Florida would have their own money? They would have the ability to do so. Okay, I'm going to let you blow this one. A bunch of duds. It was up to Nezer to say something, anything, to get his Republican Party back. What is the matter with you? Get it. Please, come on. Peter Gabriel has gay in his name. These are Republicans. Next to you and defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA A Muslim has admitted to attacking an atheist, and a Muslim judge has dismissed the case. This is a fascinating story, and this was, this was sent to me by Jason. It is fascinating on so many levels. First, let me give you a little bit of background about the story. This is from local news coverage of the incident. A zombie pope and a zombie Muhammad. I am the prophet Muhammad, zombie from the dead. And on YouTube, you can catch a scary moment. Long story short, this guy, this atheist, was dressed as Zombie Muhammad, and a Muslim got offended, assaulted him, okay? The case then went to court, and the defendant is an immigrant who said he didn't know anything he did was illegal, um, or that, uh, what, what is legal, that is legal in this country to represent Muhammad in any form, right? So the idea is, listen, I'm from another country, I'm a, I'm a devout Muslim, I was under the impression it's just flat out illegal to dress in a way that makes fun of Muhammad or in some way makes light of Muhammad. I had no idea I was even doing something illegal here, okay? The case went to trial. And obviously, as the circumstances would dictate, this ended up going in front of Judge Mark Martin, who is also a Muslim. And what happened next is completely surreal, Lewis. The judge not only ruled in favor of the defendant, but called... Uh, Mr. Purse, the plaintiff, a name and said if he were in a Muslim country, he'd be put to death. Okay? And Judge Martin's comments included saying, having had the benefit of spending over two and a half years in predominantly Muslim countries, I think I know a little bit about the faith of Islam. I have a copy of the Quran here. And I challenge you, sir, to show me where it says that Muhammad arose and walked among the dead. I think you misinterpreted things. This is unbelievable because this is a, 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 another example of religion being brought into legal proceedings in a way that is not included anywhere in the law. Two questions raised by this. Number one, do you think, Lewis and Natan, that this will make people realize it's not a good idea to rule anything based on decisions, uh, 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 on religion, and Christians shouldn't do it either, whether it comes to abortion, birth control, or anything else, and anti-gay bullying rooted in Christian beliefs? Um, no, I think this will just reinforce many of those Christians' hatred for Islam and, and uh, not have any effect on how they feel um, laws or, or anything are passed with regard to Christianity.
Natan? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know what effect this will have, but I think certainly judges shouldn't be getting involved in things in this way, quoting scripture. Well, question number two is, how will the right wing respond to this? Will they attack the atheist for mocking religion? Or will they attack the Muslim judge for being Muslim and deciding based on it? Or will it be both? I think this is one of those cases where all of a sudden it's religion being mocked in a way Christians aren't going to find as, uh, as distasteful all of a sudden. Right. Absolutely. And the hypocrisy of these religious rulings, the same way that race makes you think of black people or gender makes you think of women, when you hear anti-religious sentiment now, People have, by and large, been conditioned, and a lot of polls show this, to think of Christianity. They think of Christianity as the attacked faith right now, when the reality is just so far from that. It's just, it, when you look at the realities of, of that, uh, of what religions are actually being attacked and put in, in uh, um, subservient or less than ideal situations, it is not Christian. Well, there, there are certainly people attacking Christianity. There are people attacking every religion. Uh, from every angle, that's just, that's life. Sure, but, but the uh, idea that there's a war on Christmas or Christianity is flat out pretty false. crazy. Okay, what, what do you think is the best thing, of, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is this, is this the, that hard of a question? Is it that is. What? It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the, what what's good about this show. None what we know is have... we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman show at davidpakman.com. Something's dangerously wrong at the NYPD. This is the department that's tried to turn itself into a mini-CIA. It's the department that Mayor Bloomberg brags about, saying he has an army bigger than most other countries. And it's the department that was running one of the most bigoted films for its officers. The film was called The Third Jihad, and it depicted a Muslim takeover of America with a Muslim flag flying over the White House and scenes of Muslims executing people point-blank in our streets. When it was first revealed last year that the NYPD was using this awful film, which was produced, by the way, by a right-wing group, the department responded that it had aired the film only a couple of times. But now it comes out that the NYPD ran this film in a continuous loop for months on end, indoctrinating more than a thousand police officers with the vilest kind of stereotypes about Muslims. The film includes an interview with Police Commissioner Raymond Kelly, so there's no way that the NYPD can now claim it wasn't endorsing this kind of garbage. The NYPD has taken a guilt-by-association approach toward just about everyone in the Muslim-American community in New York City. The use of this film is the most hideous evidence of the rank bias. Muslim Americans are entitled to the presumption of innocence that all Americans are entitled to, and they're sure not getting it in New York. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it.
know the story, the AP uh, broke it, I don't know, I guess months ago. The New York Police Department has been monitoring Muslim groups and mosques and students throughout the Northeast, probably beyond the Northeast. There's no reason to believe that it's not beyond the Northeast. They have been monitoring Muslim students at uh, over 16 college campuses in 2006, 2007. They have people still on the CIA payroll working in their intelligence division. Uh, they have very little oversight about how they spend their money or apparently where their money comes from. According to the AP uh, yesterday, millions of dollars of White House money, executive branch money, has gone to uh, New York and New Jersey region through the high-intensity drug trafficking area program. Spying on Muslims doesn't sound like it's about high-intensity drug, tra drug trafficking. $135 million. And nobody's sure how much of that money has gone to the spying. You know, what it seems to be is that they buy cars and vehicles and surveillance equipment. Wasn't this, didn't they do this in the wire? Didn't they use like one investigation's uh, assets for another investigation? I think so. And they've been basically diverting what uh, the instruments that they have purchased with this money, this money to fight drugs, to spying against Muslims. I have an idea. How about there's no money for either one of those things? They have been, uh, apparently, the cops have been infiltrating Muslim groups on college campuses. They did so up in um, uh, Columbia, Yale. They went on a, a uh, whitewater rafting trip with some students, ostensibly, I guess, because, you know, that's it's like a breeding ground for terrorists, whitewater, because all the foam, I guess, and teaches kids to work together, which <laughs> you don't want that. You don't want that. Uh, apparently, according to the AP, many New York Police Department intelligence officers, including those that conducted surveillance of Muslim neighborhoods, had HIDTA, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, email addresses. Briefing documents for the commissioner were compiled on HIDTA computers. In other words, they're hiding their spying by immersing it in another drug enforcement agency. That's basically what's going on. You know, it's not being reported that way, as far as I can tell. It's being reported that, hey, they're using some federal money. But nobody's asking why. It's clear that they're doing this to hide their activities. They already receive very little oversight. They're diverting funds. I don't know how this is legal.
When police wanted to pay a confidential informant, they were told to sign on to the HIDTA website to file the paperwork. Because what we're doing is dubious enough that we don't want it out there in public. And it's not being reported that way. And I think it's stunning. And that uh, Christine Quinn, she's the New York uh, City Council speaker, who has been so far up Bloomberg's buttocks in aspiring for uh, the mayorality, the mayoralshipness. What did what did the King Bloomberg uh, basically say? It's called now the mayor mayorality ship or something. Uh, basically came out saying, eh, I got no problem with it. I got no problem with the spying. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. New York Police Department had this program where they were monitoring uh, innocent Muslim Americans. Uh, on the off chance that any of them might be guilty. Uh, they monitored students in college. They monitored people inside New York City. They monitored people outside of New York City. They went to New Jersey to do monitoring of Muslims there. They went to the entire Northeast uh, to monitor uh, Muslim students all across that area. Uh, they even monitored kindergarten and elementary school kids, because you never know, because all Muslims are potentially guilty. So uh, Chris Christie was asked about this, and he was not happy about it, but it's an interesting reason why he wasn't happy. Let's watch. We had the, the word came down from uh, the U.S. Attorney General uh, Holder today that the Justice Department is reviewing complaints about the NYPD's surveillance of Muslims in New Jersey and beyond. Listen, I have real concern about this. I, and, and I want to tell you exactly where I come from on it. Yeah, because what is the concern? I mean, there are some that have suggested this is all getting blown out of proportion. And in fact, we ought to be thanking the NYPD. Yeah, for, well, sure. That's you know, a, yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what Ray Kelly wants to wants to say. Well, he's refused to apologize. I mean, well, yeah, he's of course, a, yeah. Well, because he's Ray Kelly, so what, well. are, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, he's all-knowing, all-seeing. And I understand that we need people who are doing covert surveillance to try to make sure we protect the people of our state and our region. No problem with that. My concern, and I don't know all the details yet, but my concern is, you know, why can't you be, you know, communicating with the people here in New Jersey, with law enforcement here in New Jersey. Are we somehow not trustworthy? This is New York Police Department. Mm -hmm. I know they think their jurisdiction is the world. Their jurisdiction is New York City. So if they're going to leave their jurisdiction and go to investigate a case in another jurisdiction, it can be dangerous. My concern is this kind of um, obsession that, you know, the NYPD seems to have that, you know, they're the masters of the universe. 
So, you know, there for a second you thought the governor of New Jersey, Republican Chris Christie, uh, might be on the same side. Well, it turns out he's really upset because they didn't ask New Jersey whether they can monitor Muslims in New Jersey. Now, would they have gone along with it? I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe they would have been happy to, inter to, to do all this, um, you know, looking into uh, uh, on innocent Muslims in New Jersey as well. But he's bummed that uh, he thinks they violated his jurisdiction. So it's not about protecting Muslims, it's about protecting Chris Christie's turf. More revelations about snooping at the NYPD makes you wonder whether any Muslim American in the Northeast has any privacy rights. Last fall, it came out that the NYPD was trolling at mosques and Muslim restaurants and bookstores in New York City. Now it comes out that the NYPD has been snooping around many college campuses, not only in New York City, but throughout New York State, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. They've been monitoring on a daily basis the goings-on of Muslim student associations. They've been reporting on conferences that these student associations hold. And the NYPD even sent an undercover officer on a whitewater rafting trip with 18 Muslim American students from the City College in New York. The officer wrote down the names of everyone on the trip and submitted them in a report. He also noted brilliantly that they prayed several times a day. That's a real shocker there. Mayor Bloomberg has been defending the NYPD against all comers, including the president of Yale University, who said this snooping was antithetical to the values of Yale, the academic community, and the United States. Bloomberg's response, amazingly, was that if going on websites and looking for information isn't what Yale stands for, I don't know. He claimed to be allowing Yale to survive. Bloomberg is being Cheney-esque in his rationale for guilt by association racial profiling, and that's no compliment. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Essentially, the NYPD mapped. And when I say mapped, I, I mean they literally mapped. Uh, the AP actually has copies of actual NYPD maps that they made with dots on them on where, where Muslims live, where Muslims do business, where Muslims mosques are. Well, it turns out, it turns out the N NYPD mapped and monitored, and again, continue to monitor, uh, Muslim communities, not only, not only in New York City, not only in New York State, not only in New York City, not only in New York State, not only in New York State, but also in New Jersey and other surrounding states in the Northeast. And that is, that is crazy. Cause, I mean, cause look, I mean, obviously, you know, look, it is bad enough that they're doing this type of profiling uh, towards Muslims in New York City. That's bad enough that it's happening in the five boroughs. But the NYPD has literally 
crossed city lines and literally now crossed state lines. It sent spies into New Jersey. Um, they went into to Newark, uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, they went into Newark without apparently informing Newark, Newark's mayor, Cory Booker, or informing uh, the Newark, Newark uh, police force. Um, there's actually a full report that the NYPD made with maps and dots and pictures of homes and restaurants and schools uh, all about Newark's Muslims. Uh, you want to talk about freedom of religion? You want to talk about freedom of religion? Here we have a group of Americans living in the United States of America, you know, that apparently we, where apparently we do have religious freedom. You have a group of Americans being targeted, spied on, profiled, uh, being added to databases on nothing, nothing other than their religious affiliation. That's it. That's it. That's all. There's no wrongdoing here. There's no alleged wrongdoing. They're Muslims, period. And since they're Muslims, that means that the NYPD can track where they live, where they pray, where they go to school, where they buy groceries, where they eat. And yes, they are, in fact, tracking all of that. All of that. And not, and apparently not just in New York City, not just Newark, New Jersey. They apparently ha have sent people to Long Island, other parts of Long Island. Uh, which again, Long Island isn't actually part of New York City. They did it, uh, they did it in New Brunswick, again in New Jersey. They went to college campuses. That's right. They, the NYPD sent officers, undercover officers to college campuses all over the Northeast, including Yale, Rutgers, the University of Pennsylvania, Buffalo, New York, Syracuse, New York, Albany, New York, where I was just at this weekend, where I'm getting married, where my fiance is from. They sent spies to Albany, New York, outside of New York City, outside of New York State. One undercover officer at a college campus. And yes, so again, you know, college students, college students, any college students listening to this at all, your fellow students, Student, hey, they may not—they might not be a student at all. They might actually be an undercover NYPD officer. Even if you don't live in New York, you could have an un undercover cop being right next to you from New York. Even if you don't live in New York, an undercover NYPD officer <coughs> apparently went to upstate New York uh, on a whitewater rafting trip because he went on a whitewater rafting trip with a bunch of students because because the students going on the whitewater rafting trip were Muslims. Period. That's it. They were Muslims. So this guy went and spied on them, wrote all their names down, entered their names into a database because they're Muslims. And again, they're not just, they're not, apparently not just targeting colleges and businesses. They're apparently targeting grade schools. The Newark, the Newark thing alone has this like grade K, you know, K through 12 school. They like all girls, young grade school children. They're targeting grade schools. American citizens, everybody. These are American citizens being cataloged, being cataloged and targeted and followed. Again, not because of any alleged wrongdoing, but because these Americans believe in a certain God, in a certain God. That's it. That's it. And, you know, and again, it, this would be one thing. This would be one thing if it was the FBI who apparently have national jurisdiction. It would be one thing if it was Homeland Security. Look, I'm not, I'm, that would be bad enough. If it was the FBI and Homeland Security doing this, that would be horrible and bad, and I would still be up in arms and upset. But there's another, another level of this that, that, that is ridiculous, and that is that all of this is supposedly being waged by one local police department. 
a local police department that is supposedly, supposedly under local control. Local control. Again, that's the whole point. Local police officers, your police officer in your city is supposed to be under local control, meaning under the control of the people who live in the local community. The local police are uh, uh, supposed to be under local control. And stories like this, stories like this show that that's not the case anymore. Local police are no longer answerable to local communities at all anymore. I mean, it's like, look, you know, look, a local police department, a local, this specific local police department, the NYPD, has been reported to and has been documented consistently and constantly crossing city and state lines out of their jurisdiction to target and spy on one religious group. And, you know, I don't have to tell you, it raises amazingly huge, gigantic, disturbing questions about civil rights and about just what what jurisdiction that local police forces actually have. And again, this is the things we don't have answers for this yet. And here here's the kicker on this. Here's here's another kicker on this. A good deal of the NYPD's Muslim spying program was, in fact, paid for. Uh, by the federal, uh, from funds from the federal level. That's right. So that, that means you and me, even if you don't live in, in, in New York, you're paying for this. You're paying for the NYPD to spy on Muslim communities all around the country, all around the Northeast. No, so obviously, obviously Homeland Security play, pays billions uh, all around the country for various counterterrorism programs, which do horrible things anyway. But this, but this specifically, this one specifically, uh, apparently, uh, the funding that, that, that went into this program specifically, um, so since 2001, the NYPD has gotten over, uh, $135 million in grants, uh, from the White House, and that would be both the George W. Bush and Barack Obama White Houses. Uh, they've gotten over $135 million in grants from a program called HIDTA, uh, which stands for High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. Uh, so again, just from that title alone, this is a program that was specifically created during the, 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 the major part of the drug war that is supposed to be used to fight, uh, to fight the, the, the spread of drugs in our communities. However, it appears that the NYPD has in fact funneled this money that was supposed to go to fighting drug trafficking into spying on one religious group, and that religious group being Muslims. Um, they used it, they used the money to, the funds to buy vehicles, to buy surveillance equipment, <coughs> to rent office space. Uh, they stored, excuse me, they stored, they stored, uh, the data that they got spying on the Muslims. They spun, they stored the data on, uh, hid to servers and computers. They paid for informants, uh, through, through the program hid to, uh, one of the reasons it appears that they did this is specifically because these specific type of funds, these hid to funds, have actually little or no oversight. Um, normally, city and state funds actually are reported to this one, the city and state, and then that actually to, to to Congress. But specifically, this type of fund um, actually has no oversight at all. Um, so right now, right now, it is unclear. It, it is it is unclear. Uh, there is no direct evidence on whether anyone at the White House 
was aware that federal money was specifically being spent by the NYPD to target Muslims, to spy on Muslims all over the Northeast. However, you know, look, it's hard to imagine that they weren't in the loop. It is really hard to, to buy that, that even though, you know, they're, at the moment they're saying, you know, the, the, uh, Jay Carney, the, the White House press secretary said that the White House does not have any, any say over how this money is spent. It is, it is hard for me to believe that, that, the the white house had no idea where this money was going so so here here we have you know we have 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 a local a local police force using federal money to target people solely based on religion and obviously obviously that would that would be uh, at least that would seem to be uh looking at this coldly a violation of that group's civil rights uh, clearly, it is. It's a violation of their civil rights. A local police force um, seems to have conducted numerous operations outside of its local jurisdiction. That seems like something that is against the law and something that actually should be investigated, right? Doesn't it? That seems like something that should be investigated. However, at the moment, uh, it's not being investigated. Uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman has said uh, in a statement from his spokesperson that um, that he does not have the authority to investigate the NYPD counter-terror units. Um, that doesn't really hold water with me. That doesn't seem to be correct with me. I mean, I, I don't even, I don't really see why he would not have jurisdiction here. Um, but it, it doesn't matter. He has, in fact, said he's not going to investigate this. Um, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Maybe, maybe there's some weird, weird statute in some law that says that, 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 that this specific thing, something in the Patriot Act, I don't friggin' know, that says he can't investigate it. But, you know, I, I think that's probably incorrect. But, but, okay, let's take him for his word for now, which again, I, we're not really taking him for his word, but just say, just say that Schneiderman is actually correct, uh, that he in fact has no jurisdiction over this. That means it would in fact fall to the federal level, to the National Justice Department, to Eric Holder. Uh, currently the ACLU uh, is calling for a federal investigation on just how federal funds were used to target Muslim citizens, American citizens. Again, this, this again, but I want to, I just want to reiterate how this is disturbing on so many different levels. It's disturbing on, on for one, one, it's disturbing because, you know, uh, if this doesn't go unpunished, which it probably won't, knowing how how this stuff doesn't doesn't ever, no one seems to face consequences for anything like this in our country. One apparently now, it is okay to profile, spy on, and compile a database on a group of people based not on any wrongdoing, but solely on their religious affiliation. Number one. Number two. Apparently now, any local police force can now apparently go and spy anywhere they want in the United States. Apparently a local police force, uh, Barney Fife, somewhere in the South, can come anywhere and spy anywhere he wants, apparently. I wonder, I wonder how New York cops would feel if a bunch of other cops from other states started coming and spying on them. Obviously, the NYPD has plenty of friggin' problems, plenty of corruption problems, plenty of beating people, pepper spraying people. I wonder, maybe maybe other, you know, maybe other, since, since obviously the NYPD can go outside their jurisdiction and spy on other people, maybe other police forces around the country should go and spy on NYPD cops. I wonder how NYPD cops would feel about that. And apparently, number three, number three, this is funded by us. 
This is funded by us through a federal level. It's obviously funded by, you know, on a certain level by, by, you know, people who live in New York, but it's, this is also funded on a federal level by all American taxpayers. And apparently we're supposed to be okay with that. Um, and tragically, tragically, it appears we do in fact live, live in a time where most Americans horribly and sickly and tragically are okay with this because they're okay with this because hey hey it's only the muslims it's only the muslims who are being spied on it's only the muslims who are being profiled or having their businesses tracked or having their schools tracked it's just the muslims and the muslims are scary the muslims are scary so it's okay if we track and profile and, 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 and do this to the muslims i wonder I wonder how, how, how Americans react, would react if the NYPD were spying and tracking the Jews. I wonder how Americans would react if the NYPD were spying and tracking Catholics or Protestants or any other friggin' religion. But it's but but they're not at least as far as we know they're not. It's just the Muslims for now. It's just the Muslims that are being tracked and 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 and, and, tr and traced and profiled for now. It's just the Muslims, so it's no big deal, right? It's no big deal. You guys all know this. Of course, it's a big deal. Of course, it's a big deal. Right now, right now, unlike unlike the ridiculous you know, uh, birth control thing that all the Catholic bishops went crazy about. Unlike the, the ridiculous birth control controversy, unlike that, right now, we are looking at actual religious freedom that is actually being threatened by police forces and by our government. Religious freedom is, in fact, under attack in the United States of America. And not only are most of our politicians, save a few, there are some who are speaking out about this, now, but, but most of them aren't. In fact, not only are most of them not speaking out about it, most of them, the majority of them, are outright defending the practice. I wonder, I wonder what those politicians would say if they found out that they were being investigated. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're about to hear a couple of voicemails and excerpts from a few emails, all of which disagree with my recent commentary on privilege in one way or another. But interestingly, I don't disagree with anything they have to say. So these messages have just helped clarify what was glaringly absent from my previous commentary, which is the total lack of if-then statements and a couple of other clarifications. So let's hear these and uh, take them one at a time and I will explain. Hey Jay, this is Chrissy from Kansas. I am sorry that you felt unwelcomed and attacked by the feminist podcast that you were listening to. Unfortunately, as you represent the quadruple threat of privilege in the North American hierarchical power structure, straight, white, cisgendered, and male, there are gonna be some spaces where you're not going to feel welcome. What I'm going to say next may come across as mean, and I'm sorry, but it isn't always our jobs to make sure that you understand where we're coming from. And any expectations from you that we do so comes from a place of unexamined privilege on your part. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be welcoming and inclusive media, but not all of them are going to have the constant Oppression 101 conversations that newcomers are going to be able to follow. Sometimes we have to have conversations beyond that, 
sometimes we need to have conversation in spaces that we own. To someone from the outside, that may seem unwelcoming because what's obvious to us is completely foreign to you. And I think that's what you came across. You use blacking it out as an example of welcoming and inclusive media. I would argue that when Elon came up with the idea for the Toy Bayou project, inclusivity was his goal. There is a vast difference between listening to a black podcast of which the aim was to be inclusive and going to a meeting of black nationalists. Sometimes you just aren't going to feel welcome. That's going to be an unfortunate circumstance of your coming to terms with and attempting to see outside of the lens of your privilege. Speaking as a lesbian person of color who identifies as a feminist killjoy, I want you to know that I'm glad for the ally that we have in you. And I'm proud of you for going out of your comfort zone to examine your privilege. But Jay, it isn't always our job to teach you. You can't expect us to live through oppression and then constantly monitor our conversations just to make sure that everyone understands. You aren't a child. Sometimes I'm not even speaking to you. My conversations are not always about your edification or your education. Sometimes the onus for understanding is going to be on you. Keep up the great work that you're doing with the podcast. Thank you for listening. So there was that voicemail, and then there was this uh, just this is a portion of an email from Andrew on the same subject. And Andrew says, I'm all for kindness and inclusion, but why shouldn't feminists be able to have public discussions that aren't calibrated to welcome or acknowledge men? Why shouldn't the LGBT people have public discussions of their disappointment with the It Gets Better campaign without worrying about how their straight allies might feel or how they might interpret their disappointment? So, okay, so in response, uh, of course, to, to this voicemail and to this email, of course I agree entirely that not all discussions need to be calibrated to be welcoming to me, uh, obviously. Uh, the feminist podcast I, I uh, referenced before may have absolutely no intention of speaking to anyone outside their own community, and there would be nothing at all wrong with that. So what was missing from my previous commentary is this if-then statement. So what I should have said is, if this show is attempting to reach out to allies and others outside their own community, then it is my opinion that they're not doing a good job based on my own experience with them. So, you know, I, I discuss them to serve as an example of, you know, a way to speak to allies in a potentially counterproductive way rather than an example of how feminists should never speak publicly for fear of alienated allies. More than happy to uh, clarify that point. And uh, now let's hear the next voicemail. Hi, Jay. This is Elka in Indiana. And um, I just finished listening to the Smashing Patriarchy um, show. Um, and it was really well done, very interesting, very thought-provoking. And in response to your comments at the end, um, you know, I debated about whether to call so soon after listening to what you had to say because I could I could feel you know I was trying very hard to be understanding and compassionate of what of what your perspective was and I certainly feel like I understand what you were saying but at the same time I, I just I really as, as I have called and said once before I really resist the notion that I as an oppressed person in this country am supposed to treat you or anyone else of privilege with kid gloves 
you know, you said it yourself perfectly. That That is an onus that should not be on me. That is horrible to put that responsibility on an oppressed person. But you are completely convinced that that is what I am supposed to do. You know, we all have privilege in some way, shape, or form. I'm a black woman in America, so I have all kinds of intersecting um, oppressions going on, but I also, believe it or not, have some privilege. One of the privileges I have is when I am with my gay or lesbian friends, I know that I have straight privilege. When I am with my friends who have disabilities, I know that I have able-bodied privilege. So there are instances in my life, even as a black woman in America, there are instances where I have privilege. However, I do not expect my gay or lesbian friends or my uh, friends with disabilities to treat me with kid gloves. That is my work to do, okay, around my privilege. It's my work to do to understand what it is that I need to know, okay, to understand what their life is like and what their perspective is. You know, I, I'm more than willing to, to uh, you know, check someone in a respectful way on their privilege when I feel like they're pulling their privilege card. I'm more than willing to do that. I'm more than willing to have conversations, courageous conversations with people about privilege, but I am not willing to treat anybody like a child because people are adults for the most part. If you're a child, in that case, I might treat you that way, but I'm not going to treat an adult white man um, like a child and coddle him or if you want else with privilege. I just, I cannot tell you how insulting that is. So with all of that said, I love the show. It was a great episode. Keep doing the hard work and I'm sure I'll call back on something else in future shows. Thanks, Jay. Bye-bye. So that voicemail was from Elka, and then this is a, a portion of an email on a similar subject. This is from Tom, who is gay, and, uh, and this is while he's discussing the daily minor irritations of being judged as gay. So he says, And so, in order to fight back against these little daily microaggressions, you find online or offline spaces that understand. They have a safe space policy. You can let off steam there about stupid bullshit you encounter. Only, you have to keep playing teacher. You have to keep explaining heterosexism 101 to people who are on your side, but don't have your experience. Which is fine up to a point, but people are only human. And at a certain point, they can't be expected to explain this stuff to people over and over again. I don't get too offended when people say stupid things from a position of ignorance. But that's because I have a certain amount of time and energy to play the role of educator on some of the stupid shit. Not only have I got the patience, but I think I have a pretty good eye for unpacking the 17 layers of confused bullshit and hitting the root of the problem. But other people don't have that time or skill or the inclination, and they resent being forced to play the role of educator in order to combat privilege. They might just want to live their life. So that was from Tom. And this, you know, especially towards the end of his uh, of that section, is in a nutshell, I think very much along the lines of what Elka from Indiana was saying. And again, I could not agree more. The idea of a person of privilege demanding that oppressed people in general educate them gives me the creeps just as much as it does uh, to, to these two commenters. And so, again, what was horribly absent from my commentary uh, before was a gigantic if-then statement. So what I should have said is, if a member of an oppressed community wishes to take it upon themselves to educate ignorant, privileged people, then 
I have some ideas about how best to speak to them in a way that maximizes the possibility of them understanding and not, you know, as, as, uh, Elon James White described in, in the segment that I highlighted, you know, to, to react violently and, and, you know, react uh, very negatively and, and deny that, that you ever had a part in ignoring your privilege and all of those sorts of things. So that, that's all I meant. In her voicemail, Elka makes it very clear that it is the job of uh, the ignorant uh, to recognize and remedy their own ignorance. And I recognize this as totally true, but I don't believe that it is the most efficient way to improving society. So if that's what you want to do, then that's that's where you end up with a problem. So, you know, because my concern is with people who are ignorant of their ignorance – some people, of course, are totally unreachable, <laughs> as, as we all know. Uh, but however, you know, some people are ignorant and they don't realize they're ignorant, but they would be completely open to, uh, to coming to a new understanding. And those are the people beyond all others who I had in mind when I began talking about reaching out to people in a sensitive, non-threatening way, as you would with a child learning a new concept. So, you know, if, if we're only talking about people like Elka or people like me or people like the vast majority of listeners of this show, then of course it's much easier to expect for, you know, all of us as individuals to, you know, to be happy to take on the task of working through, you know, each of our own sets of privilege because, you know, we're the type of people who are deeply interested in politics. Uh, society making improvements to both and, and, you know, we recognize that educating ourselves improves not only our lives, but our ability to see the world clearly and work to improve it more, uh, effectively, which is what I believe most people, uh, listening want to do. Unfortunately, that is not the case with most people in the world. However, all those people whose goals in life are not to make society better, it is still beneficial to society if they can shed their ignorance. And so putting the onus on them uh, to, to you know, educate themselves is, is perfectly reasonable, but in the end will not likely result with you know, a, a conclusion that actually improves society because for the vast majority of people are just not going to be interested. They're not going to take the time and they will remain ignorant. So – you know, in the end, I'm having a conversation about communication. And so, you know, that's why I, I continue to bring up the comparison with climate change activists speaking to Appalachian Mountain uh, coal miners because, like, the, the activists as a group have no gender, no race, no religion. And so to to shed all of those aspects of, of privilege in this conversation and to get strictly down to the communication, they they simply believe that – Informing people on the subject of climate change can result in a better, more sustainable society. They think that communicating their experience and, and their knowledge on a subject that many people are ignorant to will improve society. And, but no progress would be made if those who are informed about climate change just sat back and indignantly said that you know, it's the job of the coal miners who are ignorant to the impact of their work to inform themselves and work to re remedy their ignorance – you know, it's not my job to teach them. It's their job. You're not wrong to say that they should educate themselves, but they're not going to. Evidence shows, reality shows that most people are simply not going to do that on their own. The extreme minority of people 
are going to do that hard work on their own without help. And so this does not mean that it is the duty of anyone to inform coal miners of the impacts of climate change. It is extremely preferable that those coal miners be informed, but it's not actually anyone's job to do that, nor is it the duty of coal miners to change anything about the way they think. They can continue living their lives the way they want. It is just destructive to society if they do that. So it is simply an analogous example to the benefit to society when those with knowledge choose to share their experience with others and do it in a way that will be the most receptive to those who they're speaking to. So just to wrap up, I hope that it is clear by now that there is absolutely nothing wrong with choosing to not uh, spend any of your time or energy attempting to educate ignorant, privileged people. My only point is that if you do choose to do that and you want to try to help someone out, then there are a variety of ways that you could go about that. There are a variety of ways that you can choose to speak to people and that I believe the most efficient ways to bring people from ignorance through that painful process of realizing that everything they've ever thought and known is wrong, that the most efficient way to go about that is to be open and inclusive and kind and sensitive to the process that they're going through rather than expecting that they will understand it easily or even worse, expecting that they should already understand it. So I believe that those are all of my thoughts on this. Uh, please keep the comments coming if I've uh, completely neglected some other area of this discussion or have uh, continued to not make myself clear uh, or or am simply wrong, which is also possible, uh, then please let me know and uh, I will uh, learn and grow from it and then tell you all about how I was wrong before and uh, will be incrementally more correct into the future. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone who supports the show in whatever way you do, members and donors first and foremost, of course. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips uh, through your social networks. That can be done on the website itself. Stay tuned into the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.